0: Welcome to the Factory Futurist podcast, where we profile the thought leaders, technologies, and companies revolutionizing high-tech manufacturing. We learn from the best about how they sustain high-performance leadership in technology, their personal life, and their companies. If you're just joining the podcast, my name is Drew Allen. I'm the host. And when I'm not chatting with these fine folks, I'm the VP of Strategic Development at Grace Technologies. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Today on the Factory Futurist, we have Steve Grubbs. He's an internet and technology entrepreneur, having founded over four companies. In 2016, Victory XR was founded, which produces virtual reality curriculum for schools. In 2018, Intel invited Victory XR to participate in its mentorship program, and Microsoft licensed its content. Viveport awarded Victory XR its award for best education VR content for 2018. Also, in 2018, Paradigm, an early virtual reality and esports tech center, was open. Its model combines virtual reality, esports, STEM tutoring, and corporate VR training to create an LBE model that is sustainable. Steve founded Victory Enterprises in 1997 and built the first websites for the cities of Davenport, Moline, and Eldridge. In 1999, Steve founded VictoryStore.com, which has been grown to an umbrella organization for more than 25 e-commerce sites. It has been recognized by Internet Retailer Magazine as one of the largest e-commerce stores in the U.S. Steve also served as chairman of the Young Presidents Organization International Technology Network. This network had more than 3,000 tech CEOs as members. Steve also served previously as an Iowa legislator from 1990 to 1996, and in that capacity was chair of the House Education Committee, which passed the state's first technology funding bill. Steve and I get into a lot of great content here, especially leaning on his expertise in the areas of AR and VR and what that means for the Factory of the Futurists. Join me in welcoming Steve Grubbs. Today, I'm excited to have Steve Grubbs. He is a serial entrepreneur, and he has got a couple different uh, ventures going on currently that I'll let him describe. Uh, welcome to the Factory Futurist podcast, Steve. Thank you, Drew. Happy to be on with you so steve what are your current companies
1: we have four companies the first company victory enterprises is a technology consulting and political consulting company which is a little bit unusual Uh, victorystore.com is our e-commerce company selling solutions that largely rely on corrugated plastic yard signs um, other products lawn decorations uh, the world's largest greeting cards that type of thing Uh, Then Victory XR creates augmented reality and virtual reality curriculum for schools. And I I think I can say that we are the world's leading company in that space, as small as it might be. And then finally, uh, Chalkbytes, which uh, works in the field of corporate training, both uh, our mobile product that is native to the phone and then uh, also the augmented reality and virtual reality simulators
0: you know so so talk to me a little bit uh you know you, you, not every day you talk with someone who has four companies so talk to me a little bit i mean th- did that start when you were a kid or when did you start to learn to be so entrepreneurial or was it something you were born with
1: yeah i started my first company when i was 7 i say company what it really was was steve's country store and i uh, would drag my little store down to the side of the road and we would sell pop and then also junk and trinkets from around the neighborhood sort of a resale store and so on Saturdays when I didn't have anything else going on I would drag it down there and in the summer on different days and and so I was always the kid in the family who uh put a little bit of money in my pocket
0: what was the best lesson you learned kind of during that time
1: uh well I learned that uh, I could hire my sister for 25 cents an hour (laughs) <laughs> and uh, still make some money. So, I, because I learned that, I learned that I I didn't always have to work in the business. I could work on the business while she worked in the business, which has actually been a very valuable lesson throughout life.
0: That's fantastic. I want to want to kind of stay with you for a little bit because I, I mean we've been friends for a number of years, and I know um, maybe to a lot of people. Um, it seems like maybe you're an overnight success. <laughs> um, and I know that that's not true. As you've been building your business, I mean, what are some, you know, what were kind of some failures along the way that, that you really learned from? Um, I assume hiring your sister wasn't one of them. <laughs> so, no, that, yeah, obviously that was great. But um, he,
1: he, here's here are some things that, First of all, I, I am a recovering politician, and a once you're in politics, you learn a lot of things about people, and and that those lessons uh, transcend to customers. So, you know, one of the first lessons you learn in politics is that as long as they spell your name right you're advancing, you're advancing your cause. And, and, you know, that may not always be true. You don't want to be Harvey Weinstein, but, but in most cases, whether people are being critical of you or whether they're saying something good about you, you know, when, when you are having this sort of reaction to whatever it is you're doing, you're, you're moving the ball down the field and that's important. Another important lesson is that you can't be afraid to contrast uh, with, 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 other companies and their products. So for example, there used to be an unwritten rule in in the corporate world that you would never mention the name of your competitor. And, And probably most business people still abide by that rule. But about 15 years ago, Subway showed that that wasn't true. They blatantly threw out McDonald's name and Wendy's name and they said, look, compare the products. Their food is fine, but if you want a low fat product, then you need to come to Subway. And that was a very successful advertising campaign for Subway. It's the same in politics and politics is a little dirty and that's probably not what we want to do in in the business world. But it it is important to know that consumers deserve to understand the differences between products or the difference in price so that they can make better decisions. And when businesses provide more information to consumers, uh, especially comparison charts, uh, then I think that's a very positive thing. So so that was another lesson I learned. The, the third lesson I learned that was very important was if you are diligent about capturing your downtime, then you can actually add an extra day of work in a week without working an extra day. What I mean by that is in a typical day, you have small increments of downtime that that most people waste, you know. So if you're uh, waiting for something to occur, so you've been working, but now you're you're standing in line waiting for coffee or lunch or something, you might have five minutes of downtime. Most people might You'd pick never it up. Never play? Yeah, uh,
0: I, I don't think. Yeah. Well,
1: I, I might get a little bit of coffee now and then, but I don't wait for it because I order it on my phone. Oh. But some people I notice in Starbucks do stand in line and sometimes for a long time waiting.
0: For the, for, and, uh, for, uh, for the listeners here, Steve is talking about my dad and I. Uh, we, uh, we regularly <laughs> walk up to Starbucks and we actually see him up there. And he, he's, by the time we're there, he's already, already got his cup, but we're always stand, standing around uh, chatting. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: and I'm, I'm usually sitting there buried in my
0: computer working. But
1: so, so my point is that if you capture those moments of downtime doing something productive, it's like building a wall. So you put the first brick down, that's five minutes of time. Now, if you wasted that time and, you know, read, you know, E-Entertainment News, then you didn't put that brick down there. Then the next five minute or 10 minute or 15 minute increment, you put a couple more bricks down. And so all of these things are an opportunity to build toward the future. So there's a lot of things you can do on your phone that are productive for your business, whether it's marketing, whether it's uh, manipulating keywords, whether it's communicating with potential customers. There's so many things that you can do. And if you add up all your downtime in a day, you'll typically find one to two hours that you capture that that most people lose forever. So uh, I learned in when I was running a campaign that that every single voter counted. I had to knock on 10,000 doors and I had to reach voters. And, and I was in a very tough campaign as a challenger, a 24-year-old kid running against uh, an incumbent. And so uh, I, I worked very hard to capture every moment of downtime to reach voters, and, and it ended up paying off.
0: What, what, what have you found beyond that lesson in politics that you, that you think has really applied directly into your um, other businesses, specific, specifically um, Chalk Bites and Victory VR? Sure. Uh, well, I can tell you, I've always liked technology.
1: And um, when I was in the legislature, laptops were somewhat rare. And I was the first person in the House of Representatives to have a laptop. And I used that laptop to reach more constituents than, uh, than everyone else. And because of that, they were still, they, most of them still had typewriters or they could go into the back room and use a computer. But the point being that don't be afraid to embrace new technology. New technology is always hard. And we know that there's going to be mistakes, there's going to be challenges, but if you choose to be the laggard when it comes to technology, then most likely you are choosing to give up a a big new green field of either efficiency or customer acquisition or uh, marketing. And so, so early adoption of technology was something I did back in, back in the day in my, in my days of politics and, and it, has made a difference with our our AR and VR companies. We have clearly been the leaders in this, adopting it early. As soon as uh, the modern day uh, world of virtual reality came out with the Oculus uh, headset and then uh, the Vive headset, we were the ones that started building for them. And and the markets are small now. It's it's, it's challenging, but what we know is that that market is growing fast. And we are now a leader in the market and as, as it grows faster, uh, we will be one of those that can, you know, hitch our wagon to that, to that rising star.
0: What? So what, what, let's let's dig into that a little bit. Let's talk about, you know, what you've seen from customer adoption point of views, uh, you know, on new technology specifically, kind of in that business-to-business slash, um, you know, larger kind of manufacturing industrial space. How are you typically seeing that process as you're going in and talking to them about VR and AR? For the most part, we have to find
1: the early adopters of technology um, and we have to be able to show that there's an ROI to it. Plenty of people have had bad experiences with new technology where they where they drop a, a fairly sizable sum of money and and they don't feel like they get the return so for us, we have to walk in with a a product that that works and that is uh, affordable and and that we can demonstrate that there's there's a return on investment so um you know, the the first product that we rolled out was a, our mobile training product. And, you know, a lot of people train, they might train on a computer, or they might still have uh, handbooks that, that people are going through. What we created was a product uh, that, that was mobile-based. So, for example, Graham Construction in Des Moines is one of our customers and they have a lot of people working out in the field building hospitals they're the leading hospital and medical uh, facility builder in the state of iowa and so what we were what we showed them was that they could take their training they could push it to video and then no matter where their employees were they could push that training to them they could complete it and somebody back at the central office knows that uh, it was completed you know maybe they're sitting in the uh, uh the construction um, the, the construction office on a remote site. doesn't mean that they have to wait to drive two hours to Des Moines to uh, to take part in that training. And especially now, think about coronavirus, right? Everybody's emphasizing uh, very important changes in, in the way that uh, maybe a workplace is cleaned or, or how activities are undertaken. And you don't want to wait on that. When you, when you have something that that needs to be out today and it needs to be out today, and the best way to do that is through mobile, so we were able to show that look, this is an affordable product it's a better way to do it it's more efficient and, and therefore it's it's worth your ROI um, as far as our virtual reality simulators, we are working to finalize our fork lift fork truck simulator, so you know imagine that you're in the United States Air Force no no Air Force administrator would ever let you fly a jet until you had successfully passed your simulator training. Same thing with Delta or United Airlines. They want to make sure that your simulator training is completed and completed well. Mm -hmm. But we let tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people across the United States hop on a forklift and drive it with minimal training. And so what we know is that we can build a forklift simulator. It can be affordable. And the owner of the company or the uh, supervisor of the warehouse can see whether that person knows, A, all of the safety features that they have to do before they they start up the forklift. Our eye tracking shows what they looked at. Did they look at the warning sign? Did they look at the Person that's behind the forklift before they backed up. Uh, You know, did they look at uh, the small things on the floor as they were as they were driving? So these are the sorts of things where we can show there's an ROI, and it it just makes sense. Last year there were almost 100,000 accidents in the United States from forklifts. 36,000 were serious, which meant people needed medical care, and 80 people died from forklift accidents in the United States. So you know, think about all the attention uh that that the deaths from uh you know this this current medical crisis has received but yet we have 80 uh, people dying on average per year from fork truck accidents and it can be prevented with proper training
0: mm. let's go up a level just before we jump in a little bit more about what you guys are doing but let's can you just talk to me a little bit about the ar vr landscape what, what do businesses sure. need to know about the AR VR landscape? Is it? Um, I mean, obviously, you're very bullish on it. Um, though I, I think that for a lot of people, maybe it hasn't paid off in the way that we thought it would. You know, five or ten years ago, um, but maybe that means it, it's going to be coming back in a big way. Talk talk to us a little bit about that landscape generally. The big companies who are involved and how should you know how should we be looking at that at implementing that technology in our companies
1: sure so if you think about if you think about the beginning of the modern virtual reality era and then i'll go to augmented reality but virtual reality launched in the summer of 2016 with the with the release of the quest from facebook and the the vive headset from htc so that was so that was only three and a half years ago really now during that time we have had a fair amount of product go into the market so most of the fortune 500 are using virtual reality in one way or the other but the cost of adoption it was high and so it was too high for consumers Initially, when the Quest and the, excuse me, when the Oculus and the Vive came out, you had to have a $1,000 computer, graphics computer, and you had to have a four to $700 headset. So the minimum buy-in to get started was about $1,700. Now, we know that, that consumer adoption of hardware needs to be somewhere around $400, if you look at like the PlayStation or the Xbox or or the first iPhones. And so... Uh, You know that it has to be in that range. Just last year, Facebook Oculus came out with the Oculus Quest. They priced it at $400. Now, I'm told that they lose money at that price, but they want adoption. And what they saw was that that they cannot produce headsets fast enough. So they launched it in May. They sold really well. Uh, it, It was the biggest seller of any headset ever. Then they sold out completely on Black Friday. They got them back in stock in February. Now they're out of stock again. And so they expect to have 2 million Oculus quests in, in the United States, both in homes and in workplaces by the end of this year, if they can keep up with production. Wow. That's, a, that's a big change from what we've seen in the past. And the reason is this, you don't have to connect to another computer. It's a $400 headset. It's all contained in one device. And and it's easy to use. It's lightweight, and it works amazingly well. Because of that, suddenly uh, you have all of these companies that are million-dollar software companies uh, that that have sold that much software. You know, we're not quite at that number. We're still down just under a million, but but we're rising quickly. And that's and our hope is that as the hardware is adopted, that that companies that create software will succeed as well. What businesses need to know is this virtual reality allows you to create two things simulations and scenario training Mm. so a simulation a simulator is like if you're if you're driving a, a any sort of heavy equipment and it can be anything and you can recreate those and it's you know some people say oh it's like a game well it is sort of like a game but you can create it. It, it has haptic feedback. Uh, you can you can essentially create all the challenges in training with that, or you can do the same thing with uh, engine repair uh, or all sorts of things where you create 3D objects. That's simulators. Scenario training is where you go into a shared virtual reality space. So uh, we are working on a project for child abuse training. So so think about this, Drew. If uh, if someone is gets a, a social work degree from, from any university in the country. They're 22, 23 years old. They come out of college, and now they go to work for a government agency, and, and, and in many cases, they become uh, child abuse investigators. And child abuse investigators have to do home visits uh, for families that have uh, been convicted of some sort of child abuse. And they do these home visits, and they have to be able to identify whether children are uh, you know, being, still being abused. And and it's very important that they are well-trained on that. Well, that kind of training is very difficult if you don't actually do some scenario role play. Yeah. And so the the facilities that actually, like the state of Illinois has one in Springfield. And um, you, you have to travel to Springfield. It's um, There's a waiting list to get in. And so because of all that, uh, what we are working on with a, an organization is to build a facility in virtual reality. And so you put on your headset and you enter in there as a as a person. And then there are other people in there, live people, uh, that are role playing. So one is playing the, the boyfriend, one plays the mother, one plays the child, and, and you're trained to look for certain things. And as you look for those things, um, if you spot them and you identify them and and you have an observer watching and then when you're done You know, you get feedback. This is the type of scenario role play that can be very helpful. In human resources and in various companies, they do the same thing with, um, you know, how to discipline or how to, when you have to terminate an employee, how do you do that? You know, that's the sort of thing that most people have never done in their lives when they're first getting started. And so that's sort of, um, and most people don't feel like they're ever very good at it. So, uh, scenario role play in virtual reality is one of the, the, opportunities that can really change the way that we train in the United States and something that we're working very hard on.
0: Have you, uh, you know, are, are you seeing uh, a lot of adoption of VR AR around digital twins for machinery? Is that kind of a rising trend as well? Break that down for me a little more D- digital twins, just the idea that you you have that you have a physical machine but you also have a digital version of it that you can interact with uh, yes or software yes
1: yes and so that's so moving on to augmented reality now uh one of our partners is microsoft and um they have the leading product in that space right now and magic leap is probably right behind them and, and Real will be coming up uh i think is sort of the next big player in that space microsoft has with the hololens they closed a deal with the federal government to do training that i think it was 500 billion dollars uh in headsets that were sold to the department of defense but what most people are using a million dollars of headsets 500 billion billion with a b yeah wow with a b yeah. it's yeah for the entire uh military so, you know what, it could be an M. I I may be making a mistake there, true. We should Google that. It could be 500 million, it probably is.
0: The defense budget is like 750 billion. So, I I, I think it must be but Yeah, you you're right. Number. You're right. No, no, no. You're
1: absolutely right. It is 500 million. So, um uh so it is fi- 500 million. They sold them the headsets for training uh for various military activities and and when you can see things in front of you that are augmented onto there that's, uh, that's really important. Um, and so think about fixing a, an aircraft engine. So what some people are doing is, and is actually the United States Air Force tested this. They had one group of people go through traditional training on how to fix an engine. The other group had the the hololens on and as they looked at the engine they were able to identify various parts and and how to address those problems so the people using augmented reality made zero mistakes but the people using um standard technology made a number of mistakes and so what we know in a paper manual yeah, yeah, the traditional way. You know, here's here's your <laughs> here's your manual, and you know, think about how we're all trained and how to like if you, if you took any car engine repair in high school or or afterwards, you know, that's how it's done. And then somebody's leaning over, pointing at, and say, "Oh, you got to do this. You have to do that." With with augmented reality, it's all right in front of you. So you know, the the computer in your augmented reality headset picks up it's able to recognize the engine and if you have a problem you can identify the problem It shows you what to do next where to put your screwdriver where to where to reach to where the first part of uh, changing a belt it'll take you through the steps and and of course it's an unfair advantage against somebody that's just like reading a manual and maybe has been taught through oral instruction and so that's one of the, the great hopes with uh augmented reality is that we're going to be able to do this in in almost every space. and and in addition to that, some of the new headsets have remote vision. So for example, let's say you have somebody in the field that's that's traveled out to the interstate to fix a, a semi truck. And so that person on on the on the interstate has the glasses on. The person sitting in Atlanta that's the expert on engines with this particular type of semi-truck is able to see what the mechanic is seeing and is able to communicate back and forth because it's connected to the mobile, to the cellular network. So this is in the marketplace today. And it's just a matter now of developers creating solutions for, um, for these various challenges
0: out there. So it it sounds like to me, Steve, I mean, the hardware is is pretty much ready for mass adoption. I mean, we're already seeing that, I guess, with the Facebook VR hardware, but the AR hardware as well is basically ready for mass adoption. And we're going to start to see an explosion of content creation. Does that pretty much sum it up?
1: Well, I wouldn't say mass adoption quite yet, only because the HoloLens is $3,500.
0: Mm, okay
1: and so you 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 know that's kind of 400 for that as well well maybe not the HoloLens but other products so for example in real their product is less than a thousand and another product on this market is uh, just slightly less than two thousand so products are coming out that offer augmented reality Um, and and the other big development is 5g Mm. so Right now, the thing that
0: makes uh, Steve. Before we get into five G, can you just talk a little bit about the content development costs for that? Let's say that engine application. So, if 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 I'm a if I'm a company and I'm looking at automating a maintenance process on, let's say, a pump. Okay, or you know, in in that case, it was an engine. Um, you know, what what kind of costs are they looking at for digitizing that content?
1: Yeah, so it depends on where you go to get your coding services. There are a lot of places in the United States that are very expensive. Uh, There's some places overseas or in other parts of the U.S. that are less expensive. But, you know, I I can speak for us. Generally speaking, when we develop a solution like that, it's going to cost between $20,000 and $50,000. And so that's a fair amount of money for one company if you're a smaller, medium sized manufacturer. If you're a Fortune 500 company, no big deal. So what we're seeing is that there are two paths to adoption of these so- of, of software solutions. One is that, you know, like John Deere or other large companies, they can, they can just hire a company and, and have it done. But other companies, what we are doing in our company is creating, we are paying for the development of the Product of the solution, or finding a partner to pay for it with us, and then we sell it to you know hundreds of companies. That's our that's our business model. So instead of paying twenty five thousand or fifty thousand, you're paying twenty five hundred dollars, which suddenly becomes very affordable uh, for for those sorts of solutions.
0: So it sounds like it's gonna it, it's gonna start with the highest quantity assets. So if we look at a factory application we'd be looking at, um, you know, so if you have a lot of the same asset, you know, maybe you have 200 of the exact same motor or something, you, you can amortize that cost over those higher value assets and chances are there's other factories who have the same, uh, you know, the, the same kind of uh, equipment. So you're, you're gonna see those, those higher, more frequently maintained assets adopted. Yeah. Here. Yeah, okay.
1: I'll give you an example. We just did a deal with Raybine paving. And um, we are creating a virtual reality product uh, that they will use internally. But then um, we will also sell it to the other 4,000 pavers in the United States. And they get a commission from each sale then. So not only, not only do they get the asset, because they paid to, to develop it, but then they also receive a commission from it and and then we distribute uh we distribute the product so you know it's a win-win for them and it's a win-win for all the rest of the pavers out there trying to train their people how to
0: safely uh use a skid loader what was the driver for them was the driver wanting to update their current employee skill level or was it the fact that they're having a hard time finding skilled people so as they're as their company is aging out or was it kind of a mixture of, of of both of those what what was kind of the main driver there
1: well so they're very uh, they're they're a company that safety is a very big issue like a lot of companies and so i presented a way that you know they have you know any time you have big equipment like a skid loader or a, a paver you know these are these are challenging pieces of equipment to drive and to to use and and if you if you don't get when you're like doing a parking lot if you don't get that seam straight the customer is unhappy and might require you to redo it to get that seam straight when you're doing um, asphalt so for them being able to train their people better when they can actually get on and drive a simulator that not only saves them money but it also creates a safer work environment for their employees and, and other people who might be on the premises. So that was important to them. But then also, you know, they love the fact that, that if this is successful and companies all over the United States are buying it, it could be a very significant source of revenue for them. So you know, these, there's a lot of different benefits to them, and I presented the whole package to them, and they, they decided they were in.
0: Very cool. All right. Well, let's jump back to the 5G piece. So you, you think that that's the next, that, that's the, so th- the hardware on AR is getting there, not quite ready for mass adoption. We're starting to see software applications built out for um, specific types of assets and those being distributed. But the next big piece you think that will, will, will be the next domino to fall will be the <coughs> adoption?
1: Yeah, so here's why 5G is so important in this whole mix. Right now, with an AR, VR device, you have to have a, a CPU, a computer built in somewhere. And and anytime you're building in a computer, it adds significant expense. You can, you know, the, the Oculus VR headset has a small computer in it that does the processing, you know, essentially a, a graphics chip and a CPU, a central processing chip, and, and you know, some tiny little motherboard in there. But what 5G does is it allows the headset, whether it's AR or VR, to communicate with another device that's doing the computing. So for example, um, Verizon built these mini cloud servers on on their towers across the United States. And 5G, everybody thinks, oh, 3G, 4G, 5G, it's gonna be a little bit faster. What 5G does is it doesn't just give you a larger pipe to push data through but the speed at which it can reach you is so fast that um, data can go from a verizon tower to your virtual reality headset in one millisecond now if you think about it a hummingbird flaps its wings in three milliseconds and so one millisecond takes away all latency and, and you have to be within reach of a tower, but the other way they're doing it is the phone, the 5G phone, is connected to your, you know, somewhere on your person, and then your headset's connected to the phone. So the phone is the one getting the 5G, and then that go, connects through Bluetooth to your AR or VR device. So that drops the cost, it makes it a lighter weight device, and it allows standard glasses to suddenly become these devices that provide you information. So for example, you, know, you can put on a standard pair of glasses, you can play music through your, your glasses or you can see data, you can watch a football game and as you're watching the game you can look at a player and the player's stats will pop up or you can look at a an engine and it'll tell you you know how to repair the engine. All of this comes because the computing will be done off-site, away from the device that's on your head, and, and then just transferred through 5G. So that 5G revolution, that's why you hear so much ex- excitement about it. it it's, it's more than just a, an upgrade from 3G to 4G. It's a revolution, revolutionary upgrade that changes the way computing will be done. People have no idea how much computing is going to be changed over the, five, over the next five years due to 5G, but it will be fantastic.
0: As those shifts are happening, it sounds like now is a good time for most manufacturers to at least start with their kind of pilot runs and to choose those assets and to get even some of the more expensive hardware in though now um And at least start developing plans. So that as the you know a, as they get through their pilots and kind of the next two to three years, and five G adoption is higher, they're going to be um, you know, they're going to be really well positioned to take advantage of that uh, moving into the future.
1: Yeah, my my recommendation to companies in this sort of thing is a pick yourself up an Oculus Quest headset, maybe a couple of them. They're four hundred dollars and so there's two things that are or 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 a hololens because they they have different purposes or the other company actually that's going to be doing some amazing thing is is vive you have uh vive and oculus and uh microsoft they're both they're all creating places to download software so you'll be able to say okay we have an oculus quest what software can we Download that impacts our, our company. So maybe it will be, um, it, maybe it'll be a specific um, engine or pump or or something like that. Or it might be something as simple as training on how to use fire extinguishers. Because as we may know, uh, you know, you, putting out different types of fires in the workplace. It's very important and knowing how to do it is important. And so there are these fire extinguisher training modules that are coming out in virtual reality. So there's a lot of different things um, that are being created. And as they become created, they'll show up in these stores and you can download them and begin experimenting with them. But it's important at least to give it a try and, and for a fairly small sum of money. The IT guy in the company can start looking for solutions and, and, and management should have meetings where they explore what solutions are out there that are relevant for their company.
0: No, those are, those are, uh, those are great recommendations. Just a, just a technical question, are, 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 you know, are, are these OSs open today? I mean, is it, are they following more of the Android model or are they kind of more walled gardens like ios what 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 what's kind of the you know what's what's is there a difference there on the strategy of, of these companies
1: yeah most of this is being built on android systems and for the most part companies are using unity which is an open uh, product to develop on so it might be that you hire a unity developer and create something that works in your own uh, workplace so there, there's a lot of options with that, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a fairly open platform and, and I think it will remain that way.
0: I wanna, wanna go back, um, I, I, I think we, I, I, are, do you think that there's anything else from a technology point of view that's really critical for the audience to understand?
1: I would say keep an eye out on the progress of Apple. Apple has announced that they will be releasing their augmented reality glasses in 2022. So, you know, we still have two years. So it's not immediately relevant. But a lot's going to be happening between now and then. And, and what we expect is that that early adopters will find a place to to make their mark now. But in 2022, when Apple goes consumer with AR, that's when we expect it to really just go all over the United States. And when that happens, companies that have AR solutions, so it might be having an AR solution for your uh, customer. uh, Once they do, then they will be the ones who own the marketplace when Apple's AR glasses hit hit the market. And and also Qualcomm has uh, some nice glasses that are coming out this year. So that's what I would say to be thinking about is it might not be an internal solution. You might be have a, be a company that creates a solution for your entire industry uh, or for consumers. And if, if, that, if you have the right product and you're the one that hits the marketplace in 2022 when these are being adopted widely, then suddenly you are the, the WhatsApp uh, of, or the, the iPhone of the market. You, you, you get to own your space.
0: Uh, that, that that's super interesting. You think Apple is just sitting back, you know, watching everything unfold and, and then going to come back and fix everyone else's mistakes. It seems to be like, you know, what I think, MO.
1: <laughs> yeah, what, what, what I think they're doing is they know that AR can't be done really well until 5G is deployed. And they're coming out with their 5G phone this fall. So their phone comes out this fall. So it'll be adopted through 2021. And then they'll probably announce their glasses in September of 2021 and roll them out in 2022. That's what I'm thinking is that they're just trying to get the marketplace in
0: and ready to go first. Do you think that the, do you think that the fact that it's actually glasses is going to hinder any, uh, any adoption or, you know, is there really any sort of technology uh, via like contacts or something that's, that's even close to any sort of release that you've seen? You know, supposedly Google has some contacts that that are not too
1: far off in the distance that provide some medical data, but I think I
0: think it's still a ways off. Okay, so glasses are the glasses are the way to, ways to go. Okay, glasses and headsets. Cool. So, so Steve, in, um, in Victory VR, um, uh, you you you've gone and you've raised capital for that business, correct? Correct. So, what have you? What have you learned? Was this your first company that you actually went and raised outside investment for, or was it, uh, or, or have you done it on some of the other businesses as well? I had a uh, an internet radio company in the early two thousands that I raised
1: about a half million dollars for, and, and then satellite radio came out, and we could not compete. So, you know, today internet radio is actually a really big deal, but we were a little bit too early, so that did not succeed. But, um, yeah, so Victory VR, I've raised about one and a half million dollars for it. And we have created a lot of product. We won the award for the world's best virtual reality education experience from HTC Vive. Uh, Microsoft licensed our content. So it's been um, it's been a good ride. And uh, we've deployed our capital well and we've stretched it out as much as we can. And we hope to be profitable this year and next year.
0: What, what did you, when you were going through and you were running and you were raising that 1.5, what did you learn about the process? Um, and you know what 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 are some tips to entrepreneurs that are looking at? You know maybe, maybe they've gotten a seed round or they self funded their seed round and they're looking to raise a Series A. You know what 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 kind of tips can you give other entrepreneurs that are looking to raise capital? Yeah. So number one, make sure you get your angels in place first.
1: Uh, Number two, make sure you develop relationships with the VCs, it takes a while to do that. Number three, they're gonna wanna see probably a million and a half in revenue and three X year over year growth. So if you can achieve those things and and have a good management team, they're gonna take a look at you.
0: What what is you, you know, this company is uh, more, Big VBR is more of a B2B company. What was different, you know, by raising money for a B2B company than kind of a, a more B2C company like, you know, you hear about more in the media?
1: I don't I don't know that it's any different. Essentially, VCs are going to look for three things. They're going to look for are you in the right space and they want to invest in certain spaces? Do you have the right team in place? And uh, how is your execution? And so once you establish those things then they want to you know then you have to show them look we are we're heading in the right direction we've done all the right things and look at our numbers they've grown the same and whether it's a, a consumer product or not so they what they don't care so much about is whether you're profitable so sometimes they want to see profitability but mostly what they want to see is growth as we all know most of the world's most successful companies I should say, of the the tech startups like Amazon and Facebook and Google and WhatsApp and on and on, most of these were not profitable before they became mega companies. And so, you know, Amazon went its first 10 years without making a profit because it threw everything back into growth. That doesn't mean they didn't have revenue. There's a difference between top line and bottom line. and Sometimes people get that confused. They want to see top line growth, but they're less concerned about bottom line growth because they know that you're taking everything, that all the money that's coming in, and you're throwing it back into growing the company. That's, that's what gets Series A people excited. Now, now sometimes I should say you have a positive top line and a positive bottom line, and they just want to help you grow worldwide. So that's not a bad thing either. But you don't get hung up on whether your bottom line is in the black. Mostly, make sure that top line is growing fast.
0: So I I want to refocus this a little bit on you personally. So you know, as you've been kind of leading these companies, what, what are what are some things that you know your your leadership team would say about you? Um, and and how have you built that? You know, how have you really built that team? And, and and describe me a little bit of the culture at the companies that you're trying to build.
1: I think they would say that I push them very hard to move fast, faster than frequently they're comfortable with moving. Uh, a lot of times, people get nervous about um, you know heading heading out into a place where we've not been before. And almost everything that we do is is breaking new ground. And so, you know, for example, we are in the process of launching the world's first accredited virtual reality school and we're moving quickly on it. Um, and, and sometimes my team uh, gets a little bit nervous with that, but, but it's my job to, in, to assure them that we can do it and that it's OK if we make some mistakes along the way, as long as we learn from those mistakes and as long as those mistakes don't hurt others. So that's one thing I know everybody I work with would say is, is that, you know, I, I push them to move fast. And, and I think that that's paid off.
0: Is there a failure in, in one of these businesses that you think because you failed, it led to a much bigger success? Like some glaring like, oh man, I'm so glad we failed here. And we were, because of that, we, we made this thing instead. And it fits well. I know that, that
1: with Victory Store, we, we've made some mistakes that have uh, led to positive things. So, for example, I built originally a business model about, uh, of selling yard signs to candidates because, you know, I knew candidates needed yard signs and the Internet was brand new and nobody had, uh, had a store on the Internet yet. So I, I put one out there and we bought a bunch of equipment and we hired a bunch of people and we made a bunch of money and it was all great until the election came. And then suddenly I didn't have any, uh, I didn't have much work, I had very little work. Hmm. And so from that, you know, that was, I don't know if it was a mistake, but it's something I should have seen coming. And I just figured we'd deal with it when we got to it. From that, we launched bigfunnycards.com, the world's largest greeting cards. And so these are cards that are two foot, three foot, four foot tall, or even five foot eight. But essentially, they're they're made out of the same corrugated plastic that you would print a realtor sign on or a political yard sign, and so we pivoted and created an entirely new line of products, and that's been an, an extremely strong selling set of products for us for 15 years now, and uh, and we're still the only people in the world who uh, have the size greeting cards that we have, and we we also have pivoted to. Uh, Lawn decorations uh, that that decorate your yard for a birthday or retirement or something like that. And then um, player cutouts, which are, uh, you know, you upload photographs of a team, individual photographs. We print a a cutout of them or what there's some competitors out there who have similar products. But that is another use for our corrugated plastic. So in creating a seasonal business model that essentially would have left us bankrupt if we hadn't pivoted, we found some other businesses or storefronts to create that use the same product. So pivoting, being nimble and agile and, and being able to pivot is extremely important. And I don't know a single business that hasn't had to do that. Look at IBM. You know, IBM, when I first knew them, uh, they were making computers. But when other people knew them, they were making um, adding machines. Today, they're a consulting company. They don't produce anything really that's that's hardware. So IBM continues to pivot, continues to remain a large company because they're capable of doing that.
0: One thing I admire about you, Steve, is that, you know, you've built these businesses in Iowa um, and the businesses that you're building are innovative and out of the box. What, what have you, you know, what, what do you think about starting businesses like this in the Midwest? I mean, you, you, your VR business. It must be uh, more challenging to find some of the, you know, some of the types of talent that you're looking for. So what strategies have you put in place by, you know, growing a business uh, in the Midwest versus, uh, you know, if you're out in, in the Valley?
1: Yeah, it, it cuts both ways. So first of all, your cost of doing business in the Midwest is less than than on the coasts. And, and that's really a benefit in a lot of ways, you know, insurance and real estate and lease and, and hiring people is is less. I haven't had that much trouble Hiring the right people to, that that are willing to move to Iowa because we we motivate them with this is an opportunity to change the world and and they're young and they they don't have houses yet uh, so and they don't have families frequently so it's easier for them to to move and to come to Iowa and so we we have we've been able to successfully do this but what you really miss out on being in the Midwest is uh, the the relationship building that you get by random collisions in the valley so you know you can go to you can go to a bar and run into people who are you know just got funded with a series a and then you stumble into a meeting and there's five people from google and and apple there it's just those relationships and collisions are very important and there's a for a lot of people from the Valley, there's a bias toward people from the Valley, toward companies from the Valley. So, and it's probably that way all over, but that's, that's the thing that you give up. Having said that, you don't have to be in California's regulatory or tax structure, which is, which is frankly pretty nice as well.
0: So, Steven, I know you've been traveling quite a bit, especially out, you know, that way. Uh, you know, I, I'm curious, what is your daily routine like? Uh, you know what time do you wake up what do you eat for breakfast uh, you, know, you know what 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 is kind of that perfect daily routine for you and how's that changed with all your travel
1: yeah it it's largely the same wherever i am but i get up between 8am and 8:30am so you're so later than most people yeah okay then i head to a coffee shop and i work from the coffee shop for an hour or two and if I am in my hometown, I will head to my office around 11 a.m. and start my meetings with employees and do those for three, four hours. Then frequently I will head back to a coffee shop and, and work again. And this is sort of an unusual pattern. Then, then I um, will have dinner with my family and then I go back to work. When uh, people go to bed, I typically will work from nine to midnight. So I get an extra half day of work at night and start it all over again the next day at 8 or 8.30. I believe in eight hours of sleep because I am a creative and um, I I think best and I strategically plan best when my mind is rested. So I, I really work hard to get eight hours whenever I can. It doesn't always happen. And this is my ideal schedule and I'm able to make it happen most of the time, but not always, obviously. Sometimes you have early morning meetings or. Or something that, that that changes all of that, but it's it's a unique schedule that works for me. And I always tell my employees and others that um, you know find the schedule that works for your natural circadian rhythms. Uh, Some people are early morning people like my wife. She's at the office by seven. That's not me. I'm a late night person and I always have been. And and that is how I am most productive. So for our employees, some of them come in at uh, 7 a.m. Some of them come in at 930 a.m. That's the that's the latest they can come in. Um, But uh, we we give them a range for whatever works for them. We also give them uh, one work from home day a month, but they have to be on Slack no later than 930 AM and engaging with, with the team. But but what I know is that sometimes you're just more productive when you're not in an office environment. And I know that that is the case with me. I'm most productive when I am by myself and people
0: aren't bothering me. What about diet and exercise? What, 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 what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah. So I'm 55 years old. I still play competitive basketball twice a week. As you know, I, when they closed my elementary school, I, I purchased it, or my wife and I purchased it. And so for 20 years now, we we run a game twice a week. I, I'm out there running for an hour and a half, two hours, playing very competitive basketball. And then I try to walk the other days of the week, two, three, four miles a day to uh, stay, stay healthy that way. I have a very strict nutritional plan. I try to get 100 grams of protein a day. I don't take in refined sugar at all if I can avoid it. I try to keep sugars overall less than thirty grams a day, and I have a protein shake that I make for late breakfast or lunch that is a very sophisticated uh, recipe that has about thirteen things in it, each that are targeted to you know various issues that um, genetically I may confront or um, that, that I, I have now. You know, things like collagen 1, 2, and 3. 1 and 3 are for hair, skin, and nails. Collagen 2 is for the joints. Glucosamine chondroitin is for joints. So I want to be able to keep playing basketball, so I have to keep my joints uh, healthy. Um, and then a lot of other things in there that specifically... So, for example, um, you know, I'm uh, highly at risk for prostate cancer, which runs in my family. So one, some studies show that pomegranate... Uh, juice has been effective at slowing the growth of prostate cancer cells. So it's a pretty good study. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but it tastes great in a protein shake, so I put it in there. So that's, that's sort of how I approach it. I try to, you know, try to stay active and eat well, and I study nutrition almost every single day to better yep. understand how it impacts, impacts my body. I read uh, a magazine called Life Extension Magazine, and then a lot of uh, several other publications as well.
0: do you uh, do, do you ever listen to uh, Dr. Peter Atia his podcast? I'm sorry. what what podcast was that? Uh, it's a podcast by Dr. Peter Atia. I don't. maybe i maybe
1: I should. i I like podcasts, so uh, if that's a good one to listen to, send it to me.'
0: I'll, I'll, I'll shoot that. I think you'd really like the the content there. Well, I just have a couple other questions before I let you go as our times coming to a close. You know what 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 books are you currently reading and what book have you gifted the most in the last few years?
1: So this may surprise you, but um, I'm not a big book reader. I am a big reader. Um, I read about an hour to an hour and a half a day, but I read shorter publications so um I subscribe to about fifteen publications um, on my Apple reader and uh, on my uh, Kindle between the two oh. so so I'm yeah, I'm mostly a a reader of publications. Now, having said that, I do. What do you subscribe to? So, uh, of course, I said Life Extension Magazine, Forbes Magazine, Investor's Business Daily. And then on my Apple Reader, essentially the way you set that up is you pay the monthly fee and then um, you can you can. Um, you can choose which, which publications that uh, you want to follow. So, for example, Men's Journal, Mayo Clinic, Well and Good, uh, the South China Morning Post, which may sound odd, but I love uh, staying up with what's going on in China, Chicago Tribune, Bon Appetit, Travel and Leisure, on and on. So it's a great subscription. It's, you know, 10 bucks a month and, and you get a lot of uh, great Great information. Now, uh, of books that I gift, the, the two books that I gift the most are Jack Welch's Winning, God Rest His Soul, mm-hmm. and um, Good to Great by uh, Jim Collins. And when I want someone to sort of think bigger about how management should work in a company, those are the things that I uh, provide to them.
0: What, what, do you, what do you think you've changed your thinking on that's been the most impactful the last five years or so? I know you've changed a little bit politically than where you were back in the day, but I I don't know if that's impactful, just generally, I guess, in your life. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I would say that for the most part, I have, you know, when I first started out, I really wanted to focus on one company, but what I learned is that if I follow up a build-up, build-under strategy, over the years, I realized that if you get something started, and you put a good management team in place then all you have to do is check in on it and make sure it's heading in the right direction but a good management team frankly can do better than you a lot of times and and you know I've seen that with my first company victory enterprises and so what what I what I know now is that my skill set is in starting companies because I have a diverse set of skills and then once they get to a certain size say 5 to 10 million then that's a time for me to put in other people to uh, to run those companies and, and then I need to be starting something new. I'm a builder and I love to build things and I don't ever intend to retire.
0: I just intend to continue building things until the day I die. Very good. What about your best purchase under a couple hundred bucks in the last couple of years? Ooh,
1: best purchase under a couple hundred bucks. Eh? that's a a pretty low threshold i'm picking up my tesla on saturday so i'm hoping that will be an amazing purchase follow the footsteps of phil allen um but you know my iphone was not under that but that completely changed my life once uh once i was able to do everything mobile uh that that really opened up a, a new way of doing business to me i would say that uh my Bose headphones were $350.
0: Okay. <laughs> but, uh, okay. I, I can be flexible. I mean, I am the one making the rules here, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So, but, you know, my Bose headphones made a huge difference. I'm on the plane all the time, and, uh, and, and I love that. So, oh, and, well, there again, my uh, blender, oh, I'm forgetting the brand name, but it's the, 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 the highest quality blender you can have for protein shakes, but it was like $400. I don't know. There's nothing good under $200, Drew. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was, it, was it the Blendtec or the Vitamix? Vitamix. Okay. Vitamix. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. Is there anything that you want to ask uh, the audience for, or uh, anything you want to plug? Sure. If
1: if anybody listening is interested in uh, a virtual reality simulation or an augmented reality for their company reach out to us. Uh, my email is steve at dot steve at dot or you can just go to our website chalkbites.com easy enough and uh, come come visit with us. We would love to talk to you about any issues you might have that might be solved through AR or VR.
0: And Steve, you're also on LinkedIn and Twitter.
1: I'm very active on LinkedIn and uh, yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm less active on Twitter, but LinkedIn is probably the place I spend most of my time for social media.
0: Well, thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate it. Have a good rest of your day.
1: That sounds great, Drew. Thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode. Find us on whichever podcast app you use. Thank you for listening. I'm Drew Allen. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode.